Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Haug, founder of the international online coaching business, Team Ange. I'm an expert in building muscle and losing fat, a natural figure and fitness pro athlete with the UFE, and a lover of everything personal development. I'm a mom, a businesswoman. Most days, I just feel like a hot mess trying to keep it all together. I spent the first two decades of my life overweight, tired, hating vegetables, and living off Pepsi. I got sick and tired of feeling tired every day and decided to transform my life. This fitness and nutrition podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering listeners on all things training, nutrition, and personal development. I'm on a mission to help you improve your body, achieve your goals, live a confident and fulfilled life stepping into your full potential. So let's help you transform physically and mentally to a person that's been hiding underneath all along. Let's do it. Hello, hello, hello. What's up, guys? You guys are going to absolutely love today's conversation with Craig Bongelli. He is one outstanding individual, and we get to chat about one of my favorite topics, intermittent fasting. We talk about who's it good for, the benefits of intermittent fasting. We talk about why does it work, and then how to kind of customize it based on your own unique lifestyle. We also run through the psychology of changing habits, the psychology of having the mindset of a champion, and Craig just shares so many good nuggets of information that I know you guys are going to put into action and really be able to apply to your life. So enough blabbering for me. Let's get into today's episode with Craig Bongelli. Let's do it. All right, guys. So we have Craig Bongelli here. He is certified through the ISSA, the International Sports Science Association, as both a strength and conditioning coach and a sports nutrition specialist. He has been mentored by the world's top strength coach, Louis Simmons of Westside Barbell, as well as the strongest man in history, Bill Kazmaier. He's an author, he's a coach, and a speaker, and he works with some extremely talented athletes. So I am super pumped that he has decided to join us today. Welcome, Craig. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Awesome. So let's get right into it. So a lot of people, they may not know who you are, but when I started speaking with you, you were like, oh, by the way, I lost 100 pounds. So let's just run people through who you are and how in the world you were able to accomplish something so astronomical. For sure. Well, I guess to start, I originally got into strength and conditioning and weightlifting and all that kind of stuff. When I was around 17, I met Scotland's strongest man who was at the Games event and was enamored by his look, strength, ability, all that kind of stuff. And so at the time, I was about the height I am now, about 6'1", and I weighed about 160 pounds and decided that I had to become a strong man. So from then on, that was my my every moment kind of thing, eating, lifting weights, learning everything that I could. I eventually weighed 315 pounds, competed as a professional strongman, and that's also how I got connected with some of the top strength coaches in the world that you mentioned earlier. Cool. So you're at 315, you're competing, and then does the weight loss journey happen for you after that point? Yeah, so I basically, I got to that point and started debating, okay, am I going to start putting all of my effort into continuing as a strongman, or am I going to start kind of splitting my effort and starting to focus more on coaching? Because at that point, I was starting to coach more and more professional athletes, and it was taking more and more of my my energy. So I kind of sat on it for a little bit. And ended up making the call for both my career and my future health to uh, pull back and then started the 
weight loss. And now I'm walking around somewhere around 215 to 218, depending on the day, which is like a completely different life, almost completely different. So yeah, it's certainly a very different life because I know for a strong man, it's pretty much a full-time job trying to be able to maintain your weight with, with the amount of eating that you have to do. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, at my biggest, I was eating somewhere around nine to 10,000 calories total per day as I was getting ready for bigger contests, which is no joke. Trying to put that amount of food away every day. The first one or two days, it could be kind of fun. And then after that, it's a grind. So yeah, I'm sure that trying to maintain your weight around 315 pounds was, was probably a full-time job trying to keep up with the eating. It honestly felt like more than a full-time job at some points. I was eating more or less nine to 10,000 calories every day, getting ready for a heavy competition. It's an all day event trying to get that amount of food in. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that at some point your digestion would slow down or, or you may even just feel uncomfortable with that kind of volume. Yeah, that basically happens from about the time you wake up till about the time you go to sleep, more or less. So it's a <laughs> mm-hmm. it doesn't leave you feeling the greatest, but it's phenomenal for, you know, lifting cars and stones and things like that. Yeah, yeah, amazing. What would you say is your greatest accomplishment from your career as a strongman? Woof. To be honest, doing it at all. I'm not sure there was one particular moment. Um, I competed at the World Championships for amateurs, which was really exciting, at the Arnold Classic. The first time I competed as a professional in Canada, I competed against a guy who came third in the World's Strongest Man. So those type of moments were were really, really big for me. They were a little bit surreal as they were happening. Mm -hmm. I bet. Now, we flip switches because from that point to where you're at right now, I know you've went through this massive fat loss journey and and losing 100 pounds, which which is astronomical. So what in the world did you do and how did you get started? To start, things were pretty easy from, say, 315 to... 285, 290, I really didn't have to do anything except not ram myself full of food all the time. Once I stopped overeating every single meal, a decent amount of weight fell off effortlessly, which is kind of nice. I wish everybody could get the first 20 pounds they want to lose off by just not stuffing their face. And then after that, things got a little bit more structured. The two biggest things I did, I started boxing, which was super enjoyable for me and allowed me to kind of direct my focus into something that was different than weightlifting. And I did a lot of intermittent fasting. That was something I went back to over and over and over again throughout the entire weight loss process. Mm-hmm. And what kind of intermittent fasting? Are we talking about fasting for 24 hours? Or are we just talking about an eating window that you're eating within? What specific form worked best for you? Great question. So I never tried, at least not consistently, anything outside of the simple 16 off, eight on. So I would typically eat from around one or 2 p.m. every day till nine or 10 at night. And that was how I structured it pretty much the whole way through and had phenomenal results. And to be honest, it made it a much more enjoyable process than I think it would have been otherwise. And what do you think is the magic behind it? Like what is the magic behind intermittent fasting that makes it so successful? Okay, so obviously there's There's a bunch of different studies that can at least suggest the upregulation of certain positive things within your body, hormonally, digestively, et cetera. And I think all of those are potential benefits. But to me, the the biggest bang for your buck with intermittent fasting, if you're doing a conventional diet and you're eating, say, four to seven meals per day, and they're all really tiny meals to hit the calorie goal that you need to keep losing weight, you feel hungry all the time. You never get to sit down and eat until you're you're legitimately satisfied. With intermittent fasting, if you can make it until you know the 1, 2 p.m. or whenever you start to eat, if you're doing the 16 and 8, you basically get to eat 
essentially like normal for the rest of the day, for those eight hours. So you actually get the opportunity to be satisfied, to feel full, to be content. And I think that makes it significantly easier to comply with than a lot of other strategies for lowering your calories. I agree 100%. It's exactly what I use both for myself and with a bunch of clients as well. And I know my eating window is slightly different just because I get up kind of on the earlier side because my crazy two-year-old. But <laughs> but my uh, I actually have my first meal between eight and nine in the morning and then have my last meal at five. But I, I, I can get up anywhere between like three or four in the morning when I'm in a prep mm-hmm. and, and and then recently it's been closer to like five coming out of prep but in general it, it seems to work okay because there there is that fast in the morning and then in the evening I find it easy to fast as well whereas some people may be eating dinner later but when you have a two-year-old you're eating on the earlier side because he's going to bed and doing bath time and all that stuff so it seems no to doubt. work seems to work really well and as long as you can kind of sync that window up with what works for your lifestyle and then be consistent with it I think that you can deliver some really great results with the benefits that you express for sure agreed and I think that's actually one of the the more amazing things about intermittent fasting as well if if you mess up your eating window for a day if you know something comes up whether whether it's with your two-year-old whether it's with your partner whether it's with work it doesn't matter you can mess up for a day you can eat quote unquote, normally for a day and go right back into it the next day and not have really lost anything. The day doesn't affect the days preceding or following it, which is a really, really cool benefit, I think. Whereas it was something like keto, if you were to say, go off the rails for a day, you're not getting back into keto for a significant period of time. Like it hampers you going forward. Whereas with intermittent fasting, you don't have that disadvantage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then who do you think intermittent fasting is good for? Do you think that men and women see equivalent results with it? Or what are your thoughts on that? So in terms of scientifically, I haven't seen any studies that would present more benefits to one population or another. Now, anecdotally, with what I've seen, for whatever reason, women specifically seem to operate slightly better with an intermittent fasting protocol. And the thing I've noticed with my own personal clients is an unusual amount of inches lost seem to come from women's waist when they're intermittent fasting versus a different type of protocol. Now, I don't know if that's an improved digestion thing. I'm, I don't have a, an answer for it, but it's something I've been noticing across the board with my my female weight loss clients specifically, which has been a really cool benefit. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that your clients are very excited and ecstatic about getting results like that. That's for sure. Yeah, no kidding. If if you're gonna lose, you know, an extra three percent of your waist versus everywhere else, that's not a bad side benefit for doing the same amount of work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, would you be able to identify anybody that you think intermittent fasting is not good for, or just anecdotally? what you've seen, whether that's a particular type of athlete or maybe a particular population? Or would you say that it's been pretty similar across the board with your experience? So there's two things. I don't work typically with a lot of people who have dealt with any kind of eating disorder issues. But if I were to be talking about populations in general, that'd probably be one that I would point out. I don't know if I would necessarily feel it was a great idea to take someone who had disordered eating in the past or that they're currently dealing with and tell them they weren't allowed to eat at certain points. I probably wouldn't wouldn't draw those clear like good bad lines. Outside of that, if people are training up to twice a day or more, I probably wouldn't have them in intermittent fast. When I was increasing my my training volume pretty extensively during a, a period where I was getting ready to have some fights in boxing, I found it started to hamper me having 
having two a day workouts with an intermittent fasting protocol. But outside of that, I think it's it's pretty hard to beat. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Why don't you run me through a full day of eating for you during your weight loss journey and then maybe a full day of eating of where things are at right now for you to maintain where your current weight is? Yeah. So when I was intermittent fasting, I would get up in the morning, obviously. I typically will not drink coffee until I've been up for four or five hours. That is just a personal thing where I'm worried about developing some kind of dependency to coffee in the morning. So I get up around 4.30 in the morning, so by 9.30, 10 o'clock, I'm down to have a coffee. I'll have one or two coffees before I start eating. And all the time, every time, I would break my fast with ideally a spinach and chicken salad with whatever veggies I would be adding on top of that. I noticed when I started doing that, I started feeling better. I started getting a little bit leaner. Like there's something magic to chicken salads. Uh, I'm not sure what it is, but it's magic. Mm. Then I would typically have one more pretty large meal after that. So say 1, 2 p.m., I would have a substantial chicken salad, like three to five cups of spinach, a bunch of veggies, maybe 10 to 14 ounces of chicken kind of thing. Later in the evening, I would have another big meal, typically some kind of beef, and maybe we're talking 10 to 14 ounces of that again, a ton of veggies, and then somewhere around a cup of carbs. And if that was sweet potato, rice, whatever, I wasn't really picky about what the particular carb source would be. And then for my last thing at night, if I was hungry, I might have like some scrambled eggs. If I was out somewhere, I might grab a small bite of something. I was pretty casual if I wanted something with having something later at night. If I was just at home and wasn't really into it, I'd maybe have a piece of fruit or two and a protein shake, but I'd kind of use that as as like a free zone. And especially because my weight loss was so consistent, I didn't really worry about tightening that up too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it looks the same now for you as well then, Craig, or is it different now that you're maintaining? So now that I'm maintaining, I've actually started to increase my my training volume a lot. I just enrolled in the Canadian the Canadian forces. So I've got some training goals centered around the performance I want to have when I go to basic training. So I've decided to stop intermittent fasting. So I'm training twice a day, a lot of days, and I also don't want to lose any more weight. So now a typical day for me, I'll get up in the morning, have Greek yogurt, a little bit of fruit, and then train usually right away. Sometimes I train fasted, but that's more of a schedule thing. I eat at least two chicken salads every day, and then usually about a pound of beef, a full sweet potato, and maybe five to six ounces of fish in there, and then just veggies interspersed throughout with every meal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So would that be different than the recommendations that you would give for your female client just from the standpoint of reducing the amount of protein for the entire volume of the day, Craig, or would you have different recommendations for a female? Uh, in terms of the amount of protein, I don't lower it significantly for um, female clients versus male clients. I'll typically, typically have someone around 30 of their total daily calories from protein, unless they're looking at a a major calorie deficit, in which case it'll depend on their goals. Conversely, too, if somebody's eating 10,000 calories, it'll probably be a little bit lower than, say, 35%. But I typically will stick somewhere in that neighborhood and then adjust for you know what I'm seeing and their personal preferences or tolerances to different foods. Mm -hmm. Cool. And 
let's say there's somebody listening and they're like, ah, this kind of sounds kind of cool. What would be like the starting steps for them if they're like, I want to give this a try, Craig? That's a great question. I would basically take an ideal number of calories. So there's a million calorie counters online. If I was going to start somebody with a number of calories for them to start eating to lose weight, I would probably start them around 11 or 12 calories per pound that they currently weigh. You could take that number, break things up. So I'd probably start somewhere around, say, 40% of your daily intake from from carbs, 35, let's say, from protein, and then the remainder from fat. And then I would go on to something like MyFitnessPal so you can break that down and actually see the macronutrient breakdown and plan out a day. Imagine you're going to start eating at 2 p.m. You're going to stop eating by 10 p.m. or set the eight-hour window wherever fits for you and plan it out and really see it. I think the biggest advantage people can have when they're starting a diet is to see a whole day. Oftentimes I think people are just looking at what am I eating for the next meal? Whereas looking at the day can kind of give them a little room to manipulate things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And let's say that potential client or that person who's just getting started says, I'm just really hungry during the time that I'm fasting. What are some of the things that you use to kind of combat that hunger during that period? That is a great question. That is like the million dollar question. So there, are, there is one tangible tactic and one mindset tactic that I really leaned on pretty heavily. So tangibly speaking, black coffee or black tea, not only does it give you something to do, it gives you something to consume, but caffeine has some appetite suppressing benefits, which are also a bonus. So it'll give you a little bit of energy. It's a social thing a lot of the time. So there's a million benefits to black coffee or tea. I would do that. The second thing, I would not only expect to be hungry, but almost almost understand that that is a positive. I've tried to explain to people before when, when they're getting started with something like this. You know the twinge of pain you felt when you, let's say, you know, you're a teenager and you have hardly any money in your checking account and you're like, oh, I'm going to have to dip into my savings to buy this new pair of jeans or whatever. That little twinge of pain you get knowing you have to go to savings for it. In a lot of weight loss situations, that little twinge of pain It's the same thing your body's feeling when it has to go to your calorie bank, which would be, in this case, your fat stores, to start doing that. Your body is not particularly interested in losing fat, and it will try to motivate you to avoid that by giving you a little bit of extra hunger. So I would say understanding that's part of the process and that during a weight loss journey, you will feel hungry is integral to your success. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think to anticipate that that's not going to happen or that there's going to be some diet out there that does not make you hungry is completely silly in my opinion. I think so often when people are looking for that magic thing, they they just want the magic thing that will also make them feel absolutely incredible the entire time. But dieting does does require a little bit of sacrifice and definitely a little bit of a little bit of pain along the way for sure. One hundred percent. It'd be no different than if somebody wanted to increase their their cardiovascular fitness and didn't want to ever get out of breath. Should you be out of breath and gasping for all the time? All the time? Absolutely not. But. Are there going to be periods where you're going to be breathing pretty heavy? Yeah, that's that's going to be part of the process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. Now, let's talk about maybe the myths or the misconceptions about intermittent fasting. What have you kind of seen in that department, Craig? So the the biggest misconception or myth that I've I've seen with this is probably one that I would extend to most diets, and that's when people people will take whatever the particular protocol is and assume that protocol by itself has some sort of magical results-inducing 
weight loss quality. When it comes to any weight loss protocol, as you know, the macronutrients you're eating and the number of total calories you're eating are going to dictate your progress. Yeah. There is no magic about not eating in the morning or eating the bulk of your calories from protein and fats. There's no magic to you know getting it from a shake versus getting it from a whole food. All those things are great if they can increase the amount of compliance to a plan. But at the end of the day, the real thing is going to be net net calorie intake in terms of a deficit or not, and then what macronutrients you're getting, um, and to some degree micronutrients. But I would say the biggest misconception is that the eating under those hours in and of itself causes weight loss, which obviously it does not. No, it's not a circumstance of like, let's just cram in my maintenance or surplus amount of calories into this eating window and then all of a sudden I eat, I lose weight, right? But I think <laughs> sometimes people think that. The other thing about it, I think, is just like, is it something that works with your lifestyle and that you can do on a consistent basis? And if not, then intermittent fasting is not for you. If you can't make it work just based on maybe being somebody who's working shift work or just doesn't have like a consistent schedule yes you can move your eating window but I don't think you receive the same sort of benefits if you're going from nights and days and afternoons and all over the place and then constantly moving it as well completely completely agree I think with any with any diet protocol like I said they should be you should be picking whatever protocol is going to allow you to be the most compliant and the most consistent to the number of calories you need to be eating and the macronutrients you you need to be eating And then you should do that, whatever that is, if that's eating 50 times a day or if that's eating once. Yeah. No, amen. That That's awesome. Now, I do want to shift gears here, Craig. So you have coached some really phenomenal people, and I just want to really get into the head of somebody who is a champion or the head headspace that you were in backstage when you were competing at the Arnold's. Just what is it that that's like the running theme between people that become champions or compete at an elite level and those that don't get there? That is a phenomenal question. So I would say it's a few different things, but by and large, like the absolute bare, bare bones, first level, like get your foot in the door type of thing you have to start developing or you have to appreciate with people like this are their habits. Like we, we recognize them and we cheer for them and are impressed by them based on their performances, but all of that is an extension outward from their habits. Yeah, what are those habits? That's a really good question. So the habits themselves are going to be different from every every different athlete and what what results they need. But I think it's more so the fact that they continue to develop the habits that support their progress. So it's it's little things every day that they start to build momentum with and then that momentum tends to shift things away from being simply a habit into something that they then believe about themselves. Like when we were younger, we had to be taught to brush our teeth and we had to slowly try to work to develop the habit of brushing our teeth but now as adults it's so ingrained in our self-image that if somebody said you know i heard angela is the type of person that doesn't brush your teeth you wouldn't be like well what do you mean i have that habit you would be offended like that's that doesn't align with who you believe you are anymore because that habit is so deeply ingrained and the champions the people that we look up to some of these people that i've worked with developed so deeply this self-image rooted in these habits that that, I believe, is is responsible for a lot of what they've been able to do. Mm-hmm. 
Do you think in some ways that can be a good thing and a bad thing? Like in terms of their identity being so wrapped up in the habits that have led to them being a champion? If, for example, they had an injury or had something that were to take that identity away from them? To some degree, yes. I think there are people who who develop a really close psychological link between what they accomplish and who they are. For example, when I started losing weight, it was it was an incredibly weird experience for people to tell me that I looked small or to walk into a room and not have everybody stop and just start murmuring about who the big guy was because it was just a, it was a very foreign experience to me. But I think the I think the most successful athletes don't typically struggle with with what you're talking about because the the habits that they start to really identify with are the habits of effort, the habits of consistency, the habits of, you know, the grind. These people take a lot of pride in the fact that they're a grinder, that they're a worker, that they that they consistently put out and apply themselves. And I think that's something you can carry forward no matter what. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. It sounds like you're mentioning not only habits, but characteristics about the individual that perhaps they developed or perhaps they were born with. Do you have any thoughts on if you think that people are born with those characteristics or if there's something that they build over time? I think people might be born with the potential for characteristics like that. And I think maybe even more so than that, they're born into a circumstance that inspires them to continue doing that. But to be honest, I'm not sure necessarily that it matters if if you were born with the innate, you know, predisposition for a habit of working hard, or if you just determined that you were going to make that happen, it's kind of like, well, you get up extremely early in the morning these days, but I get up around 4.30 every day. And I, I get up and I am excited to get out of bed nine days out of 10. But that wasn't always the case. I would have five years ago killed to sleep in and thought it was appalling that I might ever get up at 4.30 in the morning. But I've built that into myself now that it feels much more natural. So I think recognizing that you can build whatever quality and whatever habit and whatever identity into yourself that you want is probably the most important thing. Yeah, but but Craig, I'm just interested now that you bring that up because I'm sure there are a lot of listeners that are sitting where you were a few years ago and listening to us talk about getting up early and thinking like, how in the world am I going to take myself from where I'm at right now into either becoming a high performer or becoming a high achiever or becoming somebody like us? How do they transition from that? Okay, so that's obviously the million dollar question. If I could snap my fingers and give that to them, well, what did you do? Um, be... Like, how did you go yeah. from how did you go from dreading where you were was and where you're at right now? Like, what what do you think is the difference? Okay, that's that's a solid question. So for me, and typically what I advise people to do, it's super cliche to you know find your why and figure out what you want. But regardless of how cliche it is, that's a good starting point. So I think first you have to figure out what you really really want, and you have to figure out why you want it. And you have to figure out why you want it. So you can actually figure out if that's as, as far as it goes. Because if I want abs so that I can, you know, get a girlfriend and that's my real deep why, abs might not be the best way to do that. That might not be the thing that I'm most driven to. So once you figure out what you want, you decide you want to be 
a high performer, a high achiever in any particular area. What I would then do and what I did is I would take as many measurable specifics as possible and put them on that. So if I am a high achiever, what does that mean? What are all of the measurable things about the high achieving future version of me that I can identify? And then how do I apply those same measurements to myself now to see the difference? And I think once you have those differences, you can just start filling them in. So for me, there were certain things that I needed to do every day to accomplish my goals. And if I wanted to be able to do those things, I had to get up earlier. So it became very simple. I have to get up earlier or I can't get the thing that I want. Getting up in and of itself means absolutely nothing to me. It's just a vehicle to move me between where I am now and where I want it to go. And I think as soon as you get those specifics for where you're headed and the, spe the same specifics for where you're at, you'll see what the difference is between them. And then it's literally just doing it. Mm -hmm. And then your internal clock is just, it wakes you up. Like you don't even need an alarm clock and your body's like, yep, time to get up. You know, like, and I think that consistency of doing it, once you've established that, you no longer have to try the way you had to used to, you used to have to think about driving a car or you used to have to think about brushing your teeth. You are just on autopilot a little bit with it. There isn't that resistance every morning or, or that kind of fight back of, I don't want to get up right now, which I think is the struggle for a lot of people. Agreed. I think you, you start to build some momentum in terms of developing the habit and it gets easier to do day after day after day. I would also say that if, you know, if you had to get up early every day for a million dollars or you had to get up every day to make sure your family stayed healthy or you had to get up early every day to, I don't know, whatever means something to you yeah. in an immediate sense. Like you go into somebody's house with a gun and you ask them to get out of bed at four in the morning and believe me, they are about to be a morning person. They are waking up mm -hmm. and they are full of energy. And I think if you can apply that type of intensity to the things that you want, you have to make it real. Mm -hmm. You have to believe it has to make sense that if I get up at four in the morning and I do these things, that will lead me to the result that I want. I think that allows you to be excited and to to be invested in that process and not just go through the motions to actually to actually do it, to really do it at 100 percent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you ever find yourself lying in bed when you first get up in the morning and like doing self-talk to get you into that headspace? Or do you immediately just feel and like feel that motivation automatically? I would say it's not the same every day. If I was going to do a seven-day week, there are probably three days where I wake up like absolutely jazzed. There are mornings today, actually. I woke up and literally as soon as my eyes opened, I realized my fists were clenched and I was just on. I was ready to attack my workout, attack the day. I was all there. So that happens maybe three days out of the week for me. Three days out of the week, I just wake up and I'm, okay, here I go. Like I'm, I'm doing my thing. I just hop out of bed and just start. I'm pretty, I'm like a seven out of 10. And then there's one day a week where I wake up and I don't want to do it. I wake up, my eyes open, I'm tired. I can immediately tell that I'm sore. You know, I didn't sleep well. I went to bed late. The dog woke me up, whatever. And those days, yeah, I'll spend a minute or two and I'll really talk myself into getting up and getting started and, and doing it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Now, what are the daily things that are non-negotiables for you that you absolutely do most of the time, like those daily rituals or those daily things that you think lead to your success? Oof, that's a good question. I have a lot of staples now, to be honest. I've slowly added more and more and more to the point where now most of my day are non-negotiable 
must be completed tasks. But when I, when I started, it was okay. I've got to get training. The days that I have training, which is now I train nine or 10 times a week now. So there's something every day that is a non-negotiable. That training will happen. Then it became okay. I'm going to eat this many meals a day. I'm only going to eat in these times. I started doing that and it just became, okay, this is non-negotiable. I'm hitting these macros in this number of meals between this and this time. And then it slowly just expanded out. And now I've got personal targets, professional targets, and then performance targets, like physical targets. And all of those categories have things that are mandatory, must get done no matter what it takes. If I'm staying up late, if I'm getting up even earlier, if I'm skipping something else, it doesn't matter. They will happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know what's really interesting is when we create structure like that and when we when we create almost rules or non-negotiable agreements with ourselves, we really allow ourselves the freedom to create the life that we want. But so often people are like, I don't want to follow rules and I don't want to have structure. And what about like living freely or whatever? I don't know. I don't know how it is for you, but people always jazz me because I'm super... And I'm like, I love my Google Calendar and I'm a little bit like crazy Nazi about the Google Calendar and the way I have things <laughs> organized and color coordinated. And there's just like so many things of my day that are like non-negotiables and there's only certain windows when I'll do certain things. But creating that just allows you to feel in control of the life that you're creating, even though there is more rules to it. It actually allows the room for the things that you really like to do and the things that you want to accomplish i completely agree with that the other thing i would say that it that it adds and i i tell this to clients all the time energy follows commitment one of the the biggest benefits i have ever found to creating these non-negotiables in my schedule in my day-to-day in my everything is that energy follows commitment um, as soon as you have have established that you will be doing something, whatever it happens to be, whatever you will be doing, the energy is there, whether that's getting up in the morning, whether it, it doesn't matter. When it becomes a have to, when you are truly, deeply committed to it, the energy is there. Absolutely. I love that. That's right on the nail, Craig, right on the nail. Now, I'm wondering about from your own personal experience, the clients that you work with, what would you say are the worst habits that you see? So the things that you just see people are constantly struggling with in the populations that you work with. So the populations that I work with are pretty diverse. I would say the thing that separates the groups that I work with that are that are not yet the high achievers that are that are not the professional athletes or the world champions or whatever. The thing that separates them from the people I work with that are is that the people that I work with that are have incredible amounts of faith. They have incredible amount ability to believe in what's coming down the line, whether that's, you know, a belief in themselves, a belief in the process. Some of them, I'm sure it comes out of a religious type of feeling, but it's it's belief. It's belief in their potential. It's belief in the process. It's belief that if they do the work 100% that they will get the reward. And I think a lot of people that, that we might see chastised as being lazy or chastised as you know not very driven are people who just don't believe that the results will be there. And they're acting very logically with that belief. If I believe that investing my money in a stock will go to zero. I believe that stock will, will go to zero. It has no potential. It would be dumb of me to invest my money in it. Mm -hmm. Now on the flip side, the, the high achievers are able to look at that and go, 
I believe, I completely believe that this stock is going to rise and that allows them to pour all their money into it. Now, interestingly, these become self-fulfilling prophecies. So in this example, the company receiving the stock money is able to use that money to become successful. Mm -hmm. So the people who put all the money into it go, I knew it. I put it in. It went up. I know I can do this. I should do it again. I should invest even more. And this allows them to multiply their success. Whereas the people who didn't invest, the company sinks and they go, see, I knew it. I'm glad I didn't do it. And then the next time something comes up, they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know how this ends and the cycle continues, but in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's so interesting too, because when it comes to self-belief for people, I think that's where the magic of a coach really sees its true fulfillment. I think that for me, I went through a big weight loss journey as well and essentially, I didn't believe in my, I, I kept on showing up, but I didn't believe in myself in any way. But as soon yeah. as I had these other people in my life that were bringing that belief to me and, and almost like shining a light of like, you're showing up, girl, you're doing it. Like they started showing me that I, sh I should start believing in myself because why in the world shouldn't I believe in, believe in myself? And I think if we can surround ourselves around people who believe in us, even before we can believe in our own self, I also think there's magic in that too. Absolutely. Anything that can inspire you or motivate you or help you act in the way you would act if you already believed in yourself will move you towards your goals, regardless of whether or not you feel it yet. If you can do the actions of someone who believes in themselves, you will get the results of someone who believes in themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that ties in really nicely to me wanting to talk about you, what you do, your gym, and what it is all about there, Craig. Yeah. So what do I do? I coach a variety of athletes from some of the top performers in a variety of sports, although my specialty has has slowly morphed into combat athletes. The gym itself is an extension of what I wanted when I was training on my own. So I worked at you know a regular big box gym. I felt the distinct lack of community from the owners, from some of the trainers to the members. There wasn't there wasn't that kind of unity like we're all moving towards something like let's go there together. It was it was much more cutthroat than that. It was whether that's, you know, somebody just try to kick somebody else off the leg press or whether that's the owners, you know, just trying to sell another membership or push somebody for a personal training package they didn't need. Or anything like that. So the gym was heavily inspired by Westside Barbell and Louis Simmons, who you mentioned in the beginning. But it was more so the idea that it can be a place where people are moving in the same direction and they're not pushing each other out of the way to move in that direction. They're pulling each other forward. And so we've got other coaches, other programs, all that kind of stuff in here. But that's that's really what the gym has grown out of. Cool. And where are you guys located and what kind of equipment do you have within the gym? So we are in Kitchener, Ontario. And in terms of equipment, we're somewhat like a CrossFit gym with some specialized powerlifting equipment, a couple more machines, and then a room with cardio equipment and, and boxing equipment. So we're a little bit of a, a funky mix. We're like a hardcore CrossFit maybe, but we've definitely got a CrossFit-y look. Gotcha. Gotcha. And there's classes and then people can work one-on-one -on -one with coaches. That's the overall vibe of it. And then maybe train by themselves as well. Yes, ma'am. We are completely closed to people coming in off the street for 
one-offs or anything like that. Everybody needs a coach here in some capacity to be a member and then to have access to the gym to do their own thing. But we've got a bunch of different options for people to do that. Cool. Well, where can people find out more information? I'm pretty easy to find on Instagram or Facebook as Craig Bongelli. And then www.lilsgym.com is where you can find everything else. All right. Where did the name for the gym come from? Oh, so the name and the logo come from a dog I had who passed away two years ago. Her name was Lily. And she spent all day, every day, not only with me, but in the gym. And she was the inspiration for the name, the logo, and all that kind of thing. Oh, I love it. That's absolutely phenomenal. And we wrap up every episode of the podcast in the exactly same way, Craig. So when you pass on and people are coming to your funeral, how would you like to be remembered? That's an interesting question. I've never given too much thought to that. I was talking to uh, a client of mine who just recently had his first professional boxing match at 47 years old. He's a really inspirational guy. And we were talking about the best ways to go out, No, not only in a fight, but in life and everything like that. And I think what I'd be most satisfied with is going out and having people remember or acknowledge that I had a glorious death, that there was no crawling to the finish line kind of thing. I love it. Amazing, amazing. So anything else that you want to add to today's conversation then, Craig? To be honest, I think we covered a lot of information. I hope that all of your listeners can take some of this stuff and really kind of boil it down to the essentials. We talked about a bunch of different strategies that people can use for getting results, but we came back to the same core fundamentals. We talked about different mindset things that people can use to be a high achiever. But we came down to some really core fundamentals. And I think doing the basics, doing them consistently and believing in your potential as you do them will lead you to success in any area, whether that's physical fitness or not. And I hope that I hope that all of your listeners can remember, remember to find the, the signal in the static when it comes to achieving their goals. Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on as a guest. I'm sure we will connect again on social media and I will be coming to check out the gym at some point, Craig. I'm I'm not too far, actually. I live kind of where, where Kitchener starts. Well, it's pretty much where Kitchener and Waterloo divide if you are heading out towards Breslau. Gosh, gosh. We'll have to do a deadlift workout or something as you continue chasing that new PR. All right. Cool. I'd love that. That sounds great. All right. Have a good day, Craig. Bye for now. You too. Oh my God, guys. So we open registration for the Team Ange training camp in just a couple of days, but it's only for 20 women. It's going to be exclusive one-on-one. And I want to make sure that if this is something that you want to be a part of, that you do not miss out. So head on over to AngelaHope.com forward slash events to get your name on the VIP early bird list. And I will make sure that I send you all of the details. And then when we open for registration, you'll be able to sign up and really make sure that you get to participate in this September weekend that is going to transform your life. This weekend is all about connecting with your like-minded tribe and really learning how to activate the muscles with proper cues and proper lifting form to really maximize the muscle recruitment within your body. So if you're training really hard in the gym, you keep on showing up and you're grinding every day, but you just cannot get the results that you're hoping for, then camp is for you. Camp is for you if you want to get away from the stress of the day-to-day grind, maybe get away from your kids and really be surrounded by people who understand you, people who are living this lifestyle. This camp is really about personal development 
becoming the best version of yourself. And you know, it is just going to be a weekend to remember and I am so, so excited to actually have it, this event happening. It has been a dream of mine for many, many years. And just the fact that it is now coming into fruition lights my soul on fire. So it is in Gory, Ontario, Canada. And I know some of you are gonna have to make some epic travel arrangements to get here, but know that you will not regret it. It is going to be a life-changing weekend of really just taking your mind and body and soul to the next level. So I really hope that you come join me at camp angelahauk.com forward slash events is where you're going to get all of the details. Registration is opening in just a couple of days, but my VIPs are going to get exclusive bonuses that are only available to those that are on the list. So make sure that I have your email, make sure that I'm sending you all the info so that you can get the best price, you can get the exclusive bonuses, and we really can experience camp together at Double Dog Daria. Just do it. Guys, I'm on a really big mission here and I want to transform 1 million lives, but I need your help. I can't do it alone. I want you to take this episode, share it with just one person. Maybe it's a friend or a family member or maybe a coworker, just one person who could really benefit from the information in this week's episode or perhaps a previous episode. That is how we create impact. That is how we get this movement going. That's how we take people from feeling tired and just not having a fulfilled life and we put them into fulfilling their full potential. So I challenge you guys to share this with just one person. It would mean the world to me. And as always, head on over to iTunes, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. They come out every single Thursday. That is my commitment to all of you guys so that you guys can continually grow, expand, and fulfill your full potential. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. Lots of love, Ange.